I'm David Flaherty, Marketing Director at Washington State Wine, and this is Somlight. I am super honored and excited to welcome tonight's guest, Nelson DeKip. Nelson is the James Beard Award-winning Wine and Spirits Director of Canlis Restaurant here in Seattle. A Hawaii native, Nelson left Honolulu to join Canlis in 2002 and was the most rapidly promoted employee in their 70-year history, taking over his current role after only four years on the team. He's responsible for contributing to Canlis winning the grand award from the Wine Spectator for 24 consecutive years and also for winning a James Beard Award for Outstanding Wine Program in 2017. Nelson, it's awesome to see you. First off, where are you and how are you? I'm back from my trip from White Salmon after whitewater rafting. And so I'm here on Queen Anne, not far from the restaurant. And I'm doing well. I feel, I feel restored. I'm tired. You know, like this whole thing that's been going on, it's just got me tired and exhausted. And I go through like these bouts of battling through it. But today in a quiet house, I feel great. You look alive, man. This is like yeah. what White Rider Rafting does to the soul. Like I can yeah. see an inner light bulb. You know what? I'll tell you this. On my way back, I also swung by Portland, picked up some wine that I had on hold for me. I was just like looking for a great burger spot. I couldn't really find any. So I headed out of town and I picked up, I went to this place called Kalama. And there's always this burger, I thought it was called like a, a small little burger joint in Kalama, just off to the side of the road. I always wanted to go there. I had a burger there, a cheeseburger, just one cheeseburger, extra sauce. I thought it was pretty good. I mean, I ate it in a car coming up, but it satisfied, satisfied my craving. And then I saw a buddy in Tacoma and hung out in his backyard for a hot minute before coming back home. So I feel great. This is like a day off that I would have wanted for myself, a little bit of adventure, getting some things done, check off the list. And then like, and, and you know, like I got a buddy of mine coming over, we'll, we'll eat some Korean food and then that will be, the completion of a great day. That's, our, uh, that's a great night. Yeah, you know it, man. So you're, you're a rarity in the restaurant world. Other than an owner, it's nearly unheard of in the restaurant business for someone to work at the same spot for 18 years. So what type of blackmail do the Canvas Brothers have on you that you've not been able to leave? <laughs> I think there's, there's people that I look up to that are still there, believe it or not. There's a server, her name is um, Wanda, who's been there for a while and much longer than I have. And... She's someone that I really credit to being a deep part of our culture in the restaurant. So she's someone that I show up for every day and don't want to let down. You know, that's a big piece of it. And then I see uh, myself surrounded by a great team that's always wanting to push. That keeps me inspired and, and uh, I think moving forward. You know, I'm never bored there. We're always like going a little harder than everybody else. That's what it feels like where we want to push we want to continue to push every day and we just drive ourselves to, to be the best version of ourselves, I guess, you know, and it sounds like fun when you can do it around people that you respect and at the same time see that they're wanting you to get to, to that end goal of what you want to accomplish. So as much as we're driving ourselves, you have a whole team trying to get you to the finish line, whatever that looks like. I'm motivated by that. And for 18 years being there, I always, I always wonder, you know, like every time I just crossed over to my 18 year anniversary and I wonder what it looks like to all the other millennials where they're like, you know, two or three years from one place and then they jump around. And there was a moment where I was just a little insecure, like, oh God, 18 years I've been at the same spot or 
15 or happened when I, when I turned over to 16 years. And then it, it dawned on me, you know, like thinking back to a lot of people in my family and what they've done throughout their lives and their career, they've stayed in the same job for a really long time and they've made a career out of it. And they were really happy in staying at the same place for 30 or 40 years. That's an honorable thing to do. And when I see an example in the restaurant itself, whether it's Wanda or a friend Todd, just examples of its own history with Keiko as their old lead server, I'm just like, I, I feel like I belong here, that it's celebrated to be there as long as I have been rather than looked down upon. And that's like what gives me a sense of security and accomplishment. And yeah, at some point, you know, that that's going to find, I'm going to, I'm going to find a moment where it's time to pass it on to someone else. But while I'm there for 18 years, um, you're going to get the best of what I can offer. So that's what feels good. You're going to, you're going to grip that baton tight, man. You're going <laughs> to, now I got to ask, you know, Hawaiians always exude the sense of like the ultimate cool, but also hospitality that is unparalleled. What did you learn coming up in restaurants in Hawaii huh. that still informs what you do today? You know, I don't know, maybe, maybe in restaurants, you know what, I'll get to restaurants in a little bit, but I think more before restaurants, I get it from my family. I get it from the people that I'm surrounded by. So that's what I learned from. And that's how I've grown up in an environment where everyone's wanting to, to do the same. Like they want you to accomplish all of your goals. They continue to push you forward. They, they see you and they find ways to serve you. That's what you get from your family. You also get like ways that you grow in small ways. They have small gestures that continue to say like, look, it didn't cost me anything to do this, but um, what I did for you was because I was thinking of you and I thought you'd like it. And that's about sharing a certain like connection and emotion. And it's more powerful than a lot of other things in life, you know? So once you get that from your family and it's deeply ingrained in me to, to have an older sister and a younger brother to look up to someone and then be a role model for another, and then to have cousins around and a full table, you just find a role in it. And you're saying to yourself, someone's got to set the table, someone's got to cook, uh, and someone's got to help prepare food and greet at the door and, and do all these things. And, when I started to work in restaurants, I wanted to be a, a cook and then and, and I hoped to be a chef, but I found my way into the dining room. And that's when I felt like there was a lot, little bit more of a natural transition. You're just taking people not only into your house, but you are finding ways to make them feel comfortable. So it's a small gesture. It's listening a little more. It's finding something maybe that doesn't cost anything to give, but you're just saying it's thoughtful and genuine. Big. When I first moved to Seattle, I'd heard of Canlis and I got online, looked at the website and I downloaded the PDF of the wine list. <laughs> if, if I was to print that wine list out, yeah. I, could, I could wallpaper my entire house. Tell us, about <laughs> this, tell us about this wine program and tell us about what is the philosophy behind a wine list like that? Uh, let's see. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great question. You know, I'd say that it is now 70 years in the making and still going to continue. And when I inherited the program from Shane 14 years ago, as I became the wine director, it had already had a storied history. You know, it had some of, was responsible for some of Washington's first wines to be put on the list. First growth Bordeaux and Grand Cru Burgundy 
to be put alongside Washington state wines and then the, you know, like in then California. So celebrating America's own uh, history and winemaking. And then you get like, you get like all stars, like his name's Alan Yanagimachi, I think it is, who started the program or was one of them before Rob Bigelow. And then, right, and then those stars are bright. You get Rob Bigelow, you have Shane Bjornholm, you have a cast of others that come through before I got there. And then, and then when it was my turn, one, I felt like I, it was, I was a steward for what the Canlis's like private collection is. So I think of it as what people want to drink, what I want to drink, and, I, and then a celebration of great wines from around the world. So that's kind of part of the philosophy. And, you know, I, it was singular as far as like when I took that on of what I wanted the list to represent. And as it's evolved, I wanted it to be a better sort of collection of like what works for our community, you know, to celebrate Washington wines, what we all want to drink still, and then what makes the chef's foods better or food better, what enhances it, what complements it. And even whether it's not so much a trend, but what's, what's current today. So being relevant, saying that way all the way through. That gets how big me. is the list? How many, how many bottles are on that list? We've got a list of 2,300 list, bottle listings. And we've got about 17,000 wines in the cellar. Wow. Yeah. And then we have, uh, what do we got? We have a lot of storage within the building. And then we have an offsite cellar as well with about 400 cases that we put just for our library. So it's and that, that that's an undisclosed location. That's a, that's, you guys just bored a hole in the wall, <laughs> a mountain somewhere in the Cascades. And it's like, that's where all the real loot is kept. Yeah. No, you know, like that is, that's got a lot of wine there, but all the treasures of it, it's still in our cellar. Like we've just said like, cool, we got to store things offsite, but what if that offsite was compromised or right? Sure. You kind of like, like get paranoid about anything that right. could happen given the history, you know, like a couple of years ago, downtown, about like, well, I don't know when it happened around Thanksgiving or so when someone tried to blow up one of the storage units in Soto after trying to, to steal and break into cellars. Oh yeah, that's pretty wild and crazy. But you know, like I, I got paranoid from that. I was like, you know what, why don't we just like keep all the real irreplaceable wines in house and stacks of old library wines offsite. Obviously, they're just as valuable and wines that I think are age-worthy, but let's not compromise what could be fatal if, if we made a bad decision. You, you should have just built like a tail, like a, like a wall of yellow tail Chardonnay, like surrounding all of them. <laughs> um, yeah, sorry, yeah. yellow tail. Don't mean to throw yeah, yellow tail on the bus, yeah. but... Yeah, and I try to like not have our names on it, you know, but... Uh, I mean, that's really interesting. Like, I hadn't thought of a wine list like that before. It's almost like, you know, these are legends, right? You mentioned Rob Bigelow. You mentioned Shane Bjornholm, yeah. uh, both now master sommeliers, just some of the, the brightest, you know, most talented people in the business. It's so interesting to think like you inherited their list. It's almost like I was collecting baseball cards, right? Like I was thinking yeah. like, why this like baseball card? You know, every story of every card, you know, what's on the back of them. Right. You know, you're so careful when you bring them in and out. It's almost like when you walked, you know, and Shane said, all right, man, it's yours. It's almost like he handed you this like baseball card collection from like three or four or five or six of like the geekiest baseball card collectors ever. And they're like, yeah. boom. And now it's yours. 
and now you get to add to it. That's, yeah. I hadn't thought about that before, about the lineage of people before you running the program. That was very special. That's something that I wanted to well, hold sacred for myself as well. And as things were changing, they had some blue chip wines that are still, you know, part of the, the program today as they saw, you know, up and coming producers in Burgundy, you know, obviously Bordeaux's not much stayed the same, but you buy in at a price that's worth the investment early on. And then take that blueprint and you look at it and you say, cool, here are wines worth investing in. Here are wines that can have a shorter turn time as in like three to five years. And here are the wines that are age worthy. So over the years, it's taken some time to like the early parts to cycle through the cellar and just look at wines that I want to believe in and I really enjoy and love and then make it and sh- uh, shape it for something that I'd be proud of. And then like whatever was current, you know, and like, yeah, made plenty of mistakes and, and bought some foolish wines. But uh, after a while, I look at it now and I, I kind of step back and feel good about what I've done in the past. And I think they would kind of feel the same way. That, That's a pretty cool collection. Yeah. Now, I'm sure the experience of winning the James Beard Award for Outstanding Wine Program in 2017. I mean, that's a huge honor. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm also sure that the party that you had afterwards was epic, possibly more epic than actually winning the James Beard Award. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> tell us about both. Tell us about winning the James Beard Award and then tell us about the party afterwards. Okay, all right. Let's see. Let's see. The big one, you know, it was an incredible experience. And it's something that I think for all four of us, there were... I was sitting next to Brian and then along the row went Mark and then Grady. And I was sitting on the Those aisle. Those are the two owners and the chef. And the two owners and the chef, yes. And Brady was also nominated for award that, that year. And we'd all, you know, like were there the year before and didn't get it. So we're all sort of like feeling like we got a good chance, but we don't want to get our hopes up. We don't want to be too confident. And... Curtis Duffy, I think, is the chef that announced it. He didn't say the he didn't say Canlis straight away. He said, and the winner is Seattle. And I was like, yes, <laughs> knowing that's us, but it was never really confirmed because everyone was like, wait, hold on a second. What did he say? That's like none of the and then and then he said Canlis. And then that's when we sort of like jumped up and stood up and hugged each other and had this like moment of of like huge joy. And then we walk up on stage and we see familiar faces as we're getting closer to the stage, high five a couple of people on the way, hug a few, and then we get on stage and sort of like have this moment to just sort of address the audience and and the people watching at home. And that was a a moment that I have some footage recorded, uh, you know, that was done at the restaurant. And I liked watching what was happening at the restaurant more than no, I liked being there to accept. Because you were in New York City, right? Was it at Was it at Radio City Music Hall? Was this one was at Chicago, actually. Chicago. This is okay. the second year that they moved it to Chicago, so it was Chicago, and it was it was such a huge award, and for us, and and, and we were just like having our first chance to step on stage and get Canlis's first award. So I wanted to do right and honor all the people that were were there beforehand, and and people that had inspired us all, and then they take you off to this like backstage behind the big curtains and then they then you see a couple of awardees you see the people that are lined up you hug them you high five them and then they take you to like i don't know what what do they call it like the green room sort of like feeling where where all like the the past award the, the award winners go in you take pictures 
you sign a couple of autographs. Chang back there, Dan Barber, Tom, yeah, Padma Lakshmi. Like they're like, hey, everyone's hanging out. Yeah, they're doing interviews, and everyone's on this huge high. And like, there's a moment where we ride this like eight-person freight elevator, and you know, like you have someone that's just walking you through. She's got a headphone, headpiece, and walking you around. And all four of us look at each other, and we're like, can't believe it. Like this is it. Like we've done it. And we were just had huge smiles on our face. I think we all then took a moment to hug each other again. And, and then we step out into like, you know, once the doors open into this lobby area of, again, all these award winners, they're watching it live. They give us a huge round of applause. You're greeted with champagne. They tell you, you start getting shuffled into different rooms. It was pretty wild. It's an incredible moment, an amazing feeling. And then the party when you got back? Yeah, the party when we got back. Was, it was fun. We did it at Westward we decided like to do it a couple nights later. And we said, you know, here's, here's a good thing about like the brothers and all that. They want to throw a good party, you know, one that's worth the moment. So they were like, shut it down early. No reservations past eight, you know, like, like push everybody up. Like we just need one turn, one full turn and just take a couple of extra tables. I want everybody out of here by 10 o'clock and we're going to do it at Westward. So at the time, Joshua Henderson, I believe, was the chef there. And they reached out to him. And it must have been May, you know, first week in May. And we just have a rad party. They put out a huge spread. We bring up over a couple of big bottles of wine. They have a great bar for us. A bonfire out, right? On Lake Union, everyone's just gathered around. We're sharing stories. We're passing the medal around. People get to wear it. That was a moment where I felt like you could bring something home, something tangible, something to celebrate with our people. That one it was a good, good night. And I think maybe something that was, you know, that's a good night, but there's another night that happens and it's usually in Chinatown at Honeycourt. That's the party. That's the night. That's the night where we get a rack of Zalto glasses, put it in someone's car. We all sort of like, like say bring a bottle or two and then we go to chinatown i have my gal shirley who's down there she knows what's happening i order a big lobster get a couple of crabs i have a huge list of things that i want to order and eat and we go and throw down and celebrate you got the Zalto glasses just like covered in lobster grease, travel yeah. over your hands. Yeah, yeah. And that's for us, you know, like we want to drink well and eat well. And I got, I have no, uh, no disrespect to like what they're offering us, but it was something that we just said, like, this is a combination of both our worlds. If two things could be perfect, why not just drink out of a beautiful stem for wines that, that like show reverence for it and then eat what we want to eat lobster Chinese style some noodles roast duck all of it well that was actually gonna be my last question for you or my next question for you you kind of beat me to it you know like you know and your team knows arguably how to execute one of the most perfect dining experiences in the world I mean that, that's what you guys for 70 years yeah all these teams before you when you're not at work what's Nelson's idea of the perfect dining experience <laughs> you can just say what I just said no, no, I, I would say like, that's a big part of it to go out and to be, you know, obviously in the company that you want to have, but 
like if I want to eat when I, I want to eat what I want to eat, you know, like just the other, just, just the other day I had some roast pork and barbecue pork and from the ID from this place called cow cow is like the best meats that I've ever had in my entire life. I know the guys that are working behind the counter, this guy named Hawk, who's got this huge, long, thin, wispy beard. He's a huge cleaver in one hand. Uh, I try to order my food and order it by the pound. And then he asked if I want to chop. I said, yep, just goes on a big block, butcher's block, and he's just going for it. He asked how I'm doing. He asked, how's my family? And, you know, that same conversation over and over again. And then he, you know, like, I just asked for some rice, get a, get a Coke on the side. And then, you know, like that exchange and to see him doing all that and I could show him my appreciation for what he's given me. That's huge. That's what I want. That's what I see as an experience. As far as dining and going out, I don't know, it's weird to kind of think about what that all feels like again. But I was reminded last night, check this out. We went over to Hayu Winery in Hood River and Nate and his gang down there took great care of us. It was actually, we did it outdoors. It was the people that we went camping with and they just put a meal down in front of us that he said it's something that they were looking forward to as much as we were. And I saw him put down mise en place and glassware for every course because you can't have it at the table before it gets there. And I missed that feeling. You know, I think everyone at a table had hadn't been at a restaurant before or like since it all started where we were being served dishes as they come out, where it's hot or cold, where we can enjoy them at their peak, where it's intentional and meant with purpose for wine get two glasses with every course. It was an experience that I hope never, never leaves what dining is about. To sit down and to have, to have someone else take care of you. And then for us just to be allowed to share that table. And I don't know if it was just like kind of a recap of the day or to share something that we deeply miss, whether it's being at a table and sitting down or standing up and serving and clearing and checking in those were like huge highlights for me and to be taken care of that way. I think, you know, like you mentioned it before about what the difference between service and hospitality is. Yeah, the technical side, that's beautiful when you can see like this artistry of, of people walking out, it's a beautiful cadence to them. They drop plates, it's wonderful. You know, glassware comes down, wine's poured, execution is at its highest. And then the quality of like hospitality and that then of service is just, a smaller like look from across the table from them to make sure everything's okay. There's a, there's a certain warmth that's delivered. That's, that's not, that's intangible. That's what I miss, man. Tell us about that. I mean, the training program that any employee at Canlis goes through is I'd imagine demanding. I'd imagine it's the details are endless. There's so much to learn. So, Talk us through that. You know, what type of people are you looking to work on the floor? And then once they get the job, you know, what type of skills do they need? And then what is that training process like? Like, how do you learn the Canvas DNA? Our staff, half of them that have experience, they have like this. They are, they are former GMs and wine directors. And 
uh, dining room managers. And then they say to themselves, like, I want to take a step back and I want to love what I do again. So when they do and they get to like get a fresh, uh, a breath of fresh air and say, I can retrain myself to do it at the highest level. If I just had a little bit more time and a little more space and someone, and, and I didn't have to like always look out after other people uh, or manage, right? That's the entire thing. And those are, are ones that sort of like make this huge impact early on. They, they contribute to what the big overall picture is like and say, you know, here's a great way. We've been doing this a long time, I get it, but here's a great way. Have you thought about this? Can we try it this way? Those are, those are words that are encouraging. And then the other half of our staff that are new, uh, you know, maybe maybe actually half of them, or maybe a little less than that, have never had restaurant experience before, and they're not hired for for them clearing a glass off the table or a dish, or giving the perfect spiel of food. They're being asked to show hospitality and care for someone that gets to the table, and that comes from people from retail. That's that's people that have have been on the phones and, and receptionists before, but they just want to get into a different space, but continue to work one-on-one with people. And those are the ones that provide us maybe a bit more of a different perspective about, Hey, it doesn't have to always be perfect as far as like, Hey, watch when we take, we drop this, this course. I want all the plates to hit the table at the very same time. Can we do that? And all of us are yes. Right. That's the answer. When one person is behind, and it doesn't hit perfectly. Everyone's kind of like, God, we missed that. You know, can we do better? Like, hey, watch us take cues and let's drop it at the same time. Of course, it's beautiful when it happens. But when we sort of like have grace for everyone and say like, hey, that person, he's a little behind or watch him. He's new, but he's picking it up. Awesome. People will work for it. We'll want to get that person there. So you get one-on-one training. You get people that are encouraging you, people now to give feedback to someone that they have a little more empathy for knowing that they're just trying this again for the first time. And they're not like us where you're seasoned, have worked four different dining rooms before we come over. This is someone that's, we're saying, hey, give them some grace. Yeah, they're, they're gonna drop a rack of Zaltos and break every single stem on there. And we're gonna be upset, but they will never do that again. Can we give them that grace? And we're like, yeah, it hurts us, but Okay. Is there a big turnover rate? Are there, are there people that, is, is this like, you know, Paris Island for the Marines when it's like, you know, like 20% of the people around you, they're not going to make it? Or, I mean, I'd have to imagine that with your standards being so high that there are people that wash up pretty quickly. I think if you make it through your first like month without crying a whole lot, I think we all like get through it, you know, get, we get through that moment where we kind of break because we feel like the pressure is, is on us to perform. I see it in others when they put those expectations upon themselves as well, because they don't want to let the team down. I see an expectation that we push people further because we expect more out of them. And if they can get past that and show like this effort that they're willing to work hard and learn and take feedback and show up every day, regardless of what yesterday looked like, they will stick around and they'll go far. They'll go further than someone that has a whole lot of experience looking to come to the restaurant, add that to their resume and then move along. Because people that 
that, that maybe just see us as part of their way along their career, realize that things don't change quickly or they don't happen overnight. As far as decisions in the restaurant, we invest in people and we want what's best for them. So the turnover that happens aren't necessarily people that don't have experience. The ones that have experience actually are the ones that maybe like look at, look at the restaurant and maybe come through and say, I, I want to work here. I believe in this place. There's more I can do, but it's, it's slow and hard changes. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's what turnover looks like for us. You get it in the dining room and sometimes you get it in the kitchen. But as far as what, what overall turnover looks like for us, I've seen people leave the restaurant and whenever they do, it's always for something better than what they were doing. You know, they're celebrated. People are crossing a milestone saying, now it's time for me to focus on my family. I'm really sad to leave this behind, but I have to go, right? A husband and wife team, they were both servers in a restaurant. They started their family, right? They both have now a year, a daughter who's almost a year old, and, but he's going to school for theology and he just got accepted into St. Andrews in Scotland. So they're both going for something that's much greater as far as like what that mission looks like for them than what it looks like to be a career server, which is honorable and honest as far as like what it means to do. But for the people that are in the restaurant, I think we're all sort of like pushing each other to say like, hey, what's better for you? What's next? What's going to make you happy? And sometimes being at the restaurant is going to make you happy is what you need in that moment. So we don't let you leave until you have the next thing figured out and that you're in a good place to go. So So I think what I'm hearing is if you drop anything on the floor, you take them out back, you fire up the the, the fire hose, they get washed down, thrown in the sand, tossed around. Get up. No, no. Get this. They do that to themselves. That's what's hard because they know it. They see it. I mean, we all have this, like, this level of grace for, for each other. We're happy around each other. But they also see a level of intensity that maybe other restaurants don't have or where they're coming from. Um, we're just like, we, we're, we're perfectionists. We want it to be, and it should be for certain things. And, and we, ex- you know, not just expect it of ourselves, but expect it for other people. And when they miss the mark, they feel it. The person that, that is sort of like feeling like they left on the team, they're really much harder on themselves than they actually should be. Do we expect them to do it? Yeah, we expect them to, to nail it the next time or to grow from that experience. And I think that's what's made us a place where we can retain people for much longer because they know that we want what's best for them. So they make a mistake, they repair it, they come back. Not that they don't do it again, but they know that they won't, that they're not, that they've grown from that. And that for me is like what our staff looks like today. We all make mistakes. We make plenty of them, plenty of them that may seem like the worst things in the moment. And then we come around, we show up the next day and then we like look eye to eye with a couple of other people and we apologize and we keep moving forward. Support your state one sip at a time and drink for Washington. The wine the world is talking about is farmed and made by families right here. Now they need your help. So sip a cab or chill with rosé. However you enjoy wine, just make it a Washington wine. 
Raise a glass. Support your local wineries and drink for Washington. Brought to you by the farmers and families of Washington Wine, who encourage you to sip responsibly. You have an interesting distinction. You were the fastest promoted employee in history. Let's ask you to, to step out of yourself for a second. Okay. Look back at a young and eager Nelson DeKip from 18 years ago. What was it about your work ethic and your personality or what you brought to the job that made you stand out so much? When I started, there were a lot of women there that came from the last generation of servers, which meant that was the kimono era and that lasted up until 1996. So 1950 to 1996, only women were servers in the restaurants and they actually wore kimonos. So when I joined in 2002, I looked at a, at a team where I would say of the lead servers, let's call it, you know, 18 of them, 15 or 14 of them were women. And of that, two had worked there for over 35 years. And beneath them, maybe from 15 to 25 years or 12 to 25 years, another eight or so. And then from five years to 15 years, call it another, another 12. And most of these women were Asian women. And I would not let them carry huge sacks of dishes to the dish pit because I saw that within myself to say like, one, I'm a service assistant. Two, I'm not going to let Mama-san or Keiko-san, Mieko-san carry those dishes all the way back to the dish pit. I can take care of that. That's my nature, right? I'm looking out for the people that are there. And maybe that's part of the culture that I felt like was, should have been from day one, that you take care of one and respect your elders that are there. And especially if they're women, these are mothers, these are uh, sisters and daughters. And then I look at that, I'm saying, these are like the, the most, these should be the most celebrated most protected people on staff. I'm going to make sure that that happens. And that stood out. They saw that right away, what you were doing. Whether it's them, yes, because they felt like that was a, a level of respect. Actually, that was already happening in the restaurant, right? So that's a culture that I was walking into and felt comfortable in because that's how they did it. And maybe they felt like, whether it was me, whether it was my peers felt like maybe I could champion that forward too. That as long as Nelson's there, he's going to make sure that these things are done right. That culturally this restaurant is meant to share more than it is just your tips or whatever that'll look like. It meant you work hard, you respect and honor the people, people that have been there for a long time. You care for each other in ways that are subtle and maybe, and, and in ways that you would do for a family. And I think you work hard when it's time to work hard and to do it, put your head down, be observant, push forward your one team and, and let's keep taking care of each other as well as we take care of the guests. If we take care of each other, like taking care of the guests is going to be easy. So that's, that's kind of what it felt like, you know, and I, after all these years, and I still see a lot of people that were there when I first started, I look up to um, many of them and I always feel like, I miss what it was like back then, where 
where I had so many people to look up to and whether it was, you know, women on staff that were very nurturing that if I was the guy that ran all the plates every day or took it out of your hands, that at the end of the night, they were very thankful, whether it was like coming around to say, thank you. Hey, thank you for your hard work. I like working with you in your station because you always work hard and you push forward. You always carry this for me. Not only do you do that for me, but you do it for, for someone else that's there. I see you doing that. Thank you. And then guess what? Next day, two dozen Krispy Kreme, chocolate chip cookies, gummy bears, everything that like you could want as like a sugar rush for the next day. You feel appreciated, right? That's what happens. And I feel both seen and I want to do it again. And I that's think awesome. that's part of this. That's part of our culture that happens today where we carry the load. We try to do it for everyone that's there. We see others and respect them. We take that, we work hard for them. You know, when I say I miss what that culture was like, you know, there were times where we could um, hang out after work with each other longer or, or find small things to do together as a team. I'm not saying that it's not done today and what's happening, but I felt like maybe it was because they were people who were always looking out after me that I was the baby on the team. You know, I was the rookie and I was uh, up and coming and they were taking care of me. And nowadays, maybe my role's changed. No, I have to. Amazon. I'm, guess what? Yeah, we go to Chinatown, we bring Zaltos, I get to pick the food and my team and the people around honor me in that way. And that's a huge, huge honor. And yeah, I kind of joke around, like, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to do it, but I like it. I like um, that they do that for me and they, they respect me in a way that says, go ahead, Nelson, uh, go ahead, you first. And that's a gesture that I would give to my auntie at the table, my dad, family members, go ahead you first or someone would serve me before they serve themselves. I'm like, awesome. This feels like home. You know, that's such an honorable thing. And the first thing I do is show appreciation, say, thank you. And I'm looking for ways to do that for that person or other people on the team. You know, what I'm hearing you basically say is that like, you know, your family that you grew up with and raised you, you found the work family that had those same, cultural touchstones yeah like how lucky that you you already came to the table understanding that and i I could see how you know the canvas brothers or whoever running it is like wow that guy walked in the door owning and living what we're trying to do here every day yeah wow they put it that way i'd promote you yeah yeah or yeah you know like we have we have like a saying i look around at people in the restaurant had a great conversation with one yesterday or, or just before the weekend. Like we're the, the, the keepers of the culture and the protectors of something that's very sacred. Hmm. And can't let that down. And maybe, yeah, we make mistakes or things aren't always said or done the right way. But those things, those mistakes aren't going to shape who we are and like destroy our culture. But an erosion of that can happen along the way if it's not addressed or fixed. Definitely can. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they're saying like, oh, well, then let's go make it right. Like, what is it going to take? Let's get back on track. Like, let's, let's show other people like how it should be done. And 
different from what it looks like today than what it was like 15 years ago, as far as like what, what's the right things to say, how to approach someone, you know, the level and the tone that's used. And a lot, maybe a lot more than that. Maybe it's just like a certain amount of space and, and, and listening to the person to ask that without judgment, instead of just saying like, that's not right. Hey, that's not how we do it. It's like, hey, where are you coming from with this? You know, I want to understand it too. Tell me one story real quick, and then I have some other questions for you. But where you work, you know, this is people come from around the world. This is a, a once in a lifetime dining experience. You know, you've waited on, I can't even count how many famous people. Talk to us about what's one of your most memorable experiences on the floor. We get a lot of like, like famous people and rich people and all those things, you know. But I'll tell you, I had the craziest experience on the floor. How long ago was this? Maybe like, maybe like six years ago. And, you know, like I've got a sweet tooth, so I'm always like looking for candy or doing all these things, right? Like I've got, always got like a pack of gummies. I've always got like chocolate that's around and I just like crave it during the middle of a shift. I went to a table and I wasn't running any wine. I was just bringing coffee over because I just need, they just needed hands in the kitchen, right? Everyone knows what that sounds like. I need hands. Like you go right there, let me go help you out, take something out. And I go to this young couple in the bar and I dropped some coffee to them. And they were like, we kind of chatted up a little bit. And before they left, they were like, hey, thank you so much for that. Here's some candy. I was like, cool, man. Chocolate truffles. Awesome. You know, I take it back to the station. And, you know, like I see my barista because she called for hands and I brought the coffee to her. So we have like people that we have like this candy exchange program. So like every once in a while, like you just see each other. Hey, I got some candy for you. I got Starburst. I got gummies. I got chocolates. I kind of pass them around. So I passed her um, a truffle, a chocolate truffle. I saw another one that was part of like the, the, the candy crew. So I gave her another truffle. And then the moment I head back to the wine station, rip it right open, pop it. I'm chewing it. And then like two seconds in, I'm like, you know what? This is before it was all legal. I was like, this has probably got like weed in it. This is, this is different. I just couldn't really taste something. And I was like, well, I don't know, but maybe. And then sure enough, right? I look at the label and it's like, like the smallest, finest print because nothing really had any dosages on it, right? So it's just like, I don't know what this is, but it says it has weed in it. So, all right. Kicks in a little bit. Oh my God, I just handed out weed truffles to like, people on staff so i go and i start collecting them I was like hey where's your candy like it's right here um okay do me a favor don't eat that right now you can have it after shift or kind of whatever but this is what's going on so i go and i tell everyone that 30 minutes later i was like in the wine station i think like with this look on my face like i don't know what's happening right now I've been, I don't know what's, and I told other people, I told one of the owners, I told Mark, I was like, hey, I just did this. They're like, do you need to go home? I was like, no, I'm okay. I told them, I told my other Psalms, I was like, hey, I just had some candy and I don't know what's going on, but I can, I'll work until I can work. And they just saw me in the corner. I was like, is everything okay? I'm like, I don't know. Maybe. And then I think I worked for another like 10 minutes. And they were like, why don't you just go in the back and sit down for a little bit? You look just a little weird. So that, that for me was an experience that I was caught off guard. And, and yeah, maybe it was their bad for not telling me about candy or whatever. 
And, you know, I, I wouldn't put it past them. Maybe they said it had something in it, but I was just. Oh, no. Like, they dosed you. They full on dosed you. I just, yeah, yeah. I, I was, you like, know, and then an hour later, you're on like table 20, like standing up, like shit, savory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I probably, you know what? Like for, for people on staff to like tell me, hey, like, I think you should like go. I'm like, what did I do? I don't know. Maybe something happened. I have no idea, but <laughs> I, I stepped away. And that's something that we. We've talked about for a little bit and get a few laughs every once in a while but you know that's that's a story i can i can happily awesome. happily share you got dosed by the couple at bar one and bar two yeah and they just seem like the nicest <laughs> young couple you know in mid-march 2020 everyone was frozen and stunned with coronavirus and how to respond yeah people didn't know what to do and canless made possibly the hugest pivot. I mean, I, I know you overuse that word now, but I'm convinced in the restaurant industry, when you look back at 2020 and you open up the restaurant lexicon and it says pivot, Canvas yeah. is going to be on that list because you guys went from the ultimate in fine dining and completely changed the concept to casual. You did the polar opposite of what you guys do. Tell us about that. Like, how did that process evolve behind the scenes? Was everybody on board with that? Uh, what was that journey? Oh, we were frightened. We were shell-shocked at first, you know. We were saying before we closed the restaurant, we were one of the early ones to do it. We were meeting as, a, as an executive team, one of our executive team members' house. And we just sat there that morning and said, like, what do we know and what don't we know? And Inslee's going to come down with some regulations in a little bit and talk about what phases look like and what restrictions are, are allowed in, and we were like, can we even do this? Are we even going to be able to stay open? If they're limiting gatherings of up to 50 people, then does that mean that we're going to be okay? I'm not quite sure yet, like what that all looks like. No, no. So, you know, like when we were doing that huge, um, like a moment of like, that was like a huge crisis moment to say like, what are we going to do? Because who knows how long it's going to last. And at that point, we probably thought maybe two weeks, maybe three weeks, maybe a month, but um, what, what should we do? And Mark then was, I think, really, really the genius point of it. Just kept saying, you know, we're, we're along 99. We're, we're on like one of the, the, the most traveled streets here. We need to do a drive-through. Things are going to shut down. We should just call, we should call it early. Let's, why, don't we, why don't we start looking at what we do well and what we can do? Because we're going to shut down. The city doesn't need fine dining, right? Those are his words. City doesn't need fine dining right now. So we got to do something else. And then we started coming up with concepts. So, so you know, like, can we do burgers? And Brady was just doing a killer burger with some dry aged meat on it, just grinding it down. I was like, yeah, let's do burgers. All right, let's do burgers and fries. So that was one, you know, add it to the board, add it to the list. And then we have an amazingly talented expediter on staff, believe it or not, but her name's Melissa, but she was like, rocking bagels in, in Brooklyn before she came over to Seattle. So she, she was like, I can help out. Maybe I'll just do some bagels if it means, you know, doing something in the morning to check, keep people around. I'm like, all right, let's do a bagel shed. So that's going to be one, another concept. And then we shifted to delivery. We said, is delivery going to be something that we can pull off full-time, long-term, or not even long-term, just to keep people employed. So that's going to be sort of like what we can do. We tried to do three things and tried to launch all three things at once. 
And the goal of all that was to say like, let's try to keep people employed. What do we do so that everyone keeps their job? And then it really hit us hard, right? You remember that like second week in March where everything just came to a screeching halt and everything shut down. No one was at, no, restaurants had to close, no one else indoors. And that's, and we were, we were ready for it. We were like, you know, like, hold on, this is it now. You know, like we're going over the waterfall, who knows what's going to happen, but thankfully we've already met about it. Cool. How about, can we get a hold of Don Clark and work on designing graphics? Yes. Brady, what do you think about burgers? Come up with a menu. Awesome. On it. Uh, Nelson, what are we going to do for wine? I was like, I don't know. We can't, no one's going to drink. We can't drink. We can't serve booze. Okay. Let's scrap that. Work on, work on family meal. Cool. I got that. Everyone on the team was asked to shift from what their normal role was to a bagel shed expediter, right? Putting the tents up, getting there at five in the morning to coordinating meal delivery for 500 dinners going out. And then after a while, you're just like, all we're doing is like running burgers out and doing and, and controlling traffic, a traffic jam around Queen Anne. So we were just like seeing leaders on our team come out from everywhere. And I think that gave us the confidence to continue moving forward to say, you know, I don't know what we're going to do next, but he's really good at like moving things around and he's got a loud voice. She is going to be amazing if we put her in this position where she's expediting everything. Alicia should control all of the, the delivery routes because it takes that sort of like level of, of, a, t a detail to make sure that it gets delivered to the right spot. You know, all these things sort of like came out from hmm. early COVID scramble drill. Wow. You guys have completely learned each other's talents in a new way. Yeah. You know, and kudos to you guys. Like the, the, the restaurant world looks at what you've done and the creativity, the intuition you guys have had, the sort of like, pull up by your bootstraps and get it done. Like, I mean, yeah. you know, hats off. Let's do this. Let's switch gears. We're gonna do the Psalm Light rapid fire question round. Okay. All right. What show are you binge watching right now? Oh, it's, uh, what is it called? Last Chance You. I'm oh. getting through it. It's the newest season just came out. Um, and there's this big uh, tonguing kid on it. And one of those guys, so he's, he's like an offensive lineman, which you know, I never played football, but somebody that I always wanted to be. And then there's another kid on there that is now at the University of Hawaii. So I'm cheering him on. So I'm watching. Last chance. chance you. Yeah. <laughs> and I miss sports. I miss football. Yeah. Are you an introvert or an extrovert? I, you know what? I, I struggle with this because obviously I, I, I don't mind being up and around people. It, that brings me energy and life. But when, it, when I feel like an introvert, when I just need to like stay away from people or I need to restore myself, there are times that I'm like, I need the weekends off. I need the weekends to be away from people. I need to see a few people, not everyone. I don't need any attention on me right now. So I don't know what that comes out to, but I would say that naturally I am an extrovert. You're, you're an intro extro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. What is, uh, you can only drink one thing for a month besides water, go. Okay. Oh yeah, champagne. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'm good with that. 
I need, I need to like take that question out because everybody says champagne. It's like, of course. I oh, really? Champagne. Okay. Well, you know what? Let's see. Oh. I will do, um, yeah, Chablis is good. I'll take Chablis. Chablis. You got Chablis. Everybody else can have champagne. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. Still Kim Ridgian, I think though, right? Very similar. But yeah. <laughs> Other than appearing on Psalm Light, what is your biggest accomplishment of your life? <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, you know what? There's a video again. I keep going back to that of James of us winning the James Beard, and it's uh, captured at the restaurant when it was live streamed of what the team looked like hearing our names get called. So that in itself is like a, a place I come back to be like as as a moment and as awards as a team award and accomplishment. Winning that is probably right now at that point. Is a hot dog a sandwich? No, no, it's a category of its in itself. Hot dog category? Yeah, yeah, hot dog. It's not a sandwich. It's a hot dog. Sandwiches are sandwiches. It's a hot dog. All right. Did you bring the pen and piece? Yeah, I have it right here. Okay, we're gonna do the psalm light drawing challenge. Okay. Oh, I'm terrible at this. Your challenge, dude. You're gonna have 45 seconds. I want you to draw an alien invasion while telling us about the wines of Austria. Oof, alien invasion. And we're live. Okay, cool. You know, the wines of Austria, I would say people think about um, a lot of, of white wine specifically, and they're not wrong. Uh, <laughs> I would say like uh, there, there are a few really key grapes that kind of um, make it worthwhile. One's um, Gruner Veltliner. The other is, um, you know, versions of what uh, Riesling could be like, um, but hybrids of that even. And then um, the Lucite, they make one pretty cool red wine called Zweigelt. And I think that's what they'll be known for. Boom. I like that you landed on Zweigelt, landed with the Zweigelt. Yeah. You did the Zweigelt dismount. All right, let's oh, see wow. that. Alien. seconds go by pretty quickly, huh? Yeah, 45 seconds is another. Let's, yeah. let's do the alien invasion. Oh, oh dude. Yeah, it's more like an abduction. Can, can you camera? It looks like, um, it looks like the cookie monster almost, like flying. <laughs> That's good. You have like yeah. death, like the circle. Okay. Yeah. This, this is his. If I can get that in there. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty good. Right on. Um, last question, my man. What's up? Of all the restaurants in Seattle, you know, Canlis perhaps draws the most international guests from around the world, and you have a chance to introduce them to so many of the wines from Washington State. What are three things that you want them to take away about our region when you have that interaction with the guests at Canlis? Uh, one, that there's a tremendous amount of versatility with with what's grown here. So anywhere between white, high acid white wines with a lighter profile of oak to lighter reds, not specifically just Cabernet blends, but things like Grenache and even other places where Sangiovese and Tempranillo are being grown. And Cabernet Franc, I think that's where you're gonna see us shine. Another piece would be that we're a really close knit community still don't be surprised if you go to a tasting room somewhere and you see the winemaker behind the bar pouring you some wine. 
people, our guys, our winemakers want to stay connected. They're real and they think they have so much to offer and they take an enormous amount of pride in connecting with their customers. And the third part, I always feel like we're the underdog. I always feel like we have something to prove. And for whatever reason why we are, it just keeps us hungry to keep innovating and continuing to be worth it. Uh, so that's what keeps us driven. That's awesome. That is community as a whole, brother. You know it. That's right. Well, thank you, Nelson. Thank you for being here tonight. Thank you all for listening. Stay well, stay healthy. This has been Somlight, and we look forward to seeing you all next week with some of our other favorite wine pros around the country. Thank you.